You're listening to Inside the Athletic Mind with your hosts, Taylor Cook and Lauren Williams. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for female athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. Today, we are joined by the host of the Business Case for Women's Sports podcast and the CEO and founder of Goals Sports, Caroline Fitzgerald. And we are diving deep on why it is good business to invest in women's sports. I absolutely loved recording this episode with Caroline. She is such a passionate leader and brings her marketing and branding expertise to the table here throughout the episode. But before we get into today's episode, we want to take a moment to thank our partner, Flowcode. As elite athletes, we know that in order to get into our peak state of performance, it requires that we get into flow. But most athletes experience flow by accident and not on purpose. With the FlowHub 7 Biohack Portal, you get access to an array of different flow techniques with their flow lessons, triggers, and programs. And you can stop leaving your game to chance and elevate your game by purposely getting into flow. Sign up today by going to www.theflowhub.com and get 10% off your subscription using the code IAM10. That's IAM10 in all caps at theflowhub.com. Alrighty, welcome back to another episode, everybody. Thanks for tuning in as always. And we bring you yet again another special guest. We are joined by Carolyn Fitzgerald from Goal Sports Podcast, building the business case for women's sports. Caroline, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. No, we're super excited to have you on. I mean, you've been doing so much work in and around building the business case for women's sports. Obviously with the podcast, we see all the stuff that you're doing on social and it's just so amazing to see somebody else advocating for the women's sporting business. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that's near and dear to both of our hearts. I know it is. And it's of course near and dear to my heart as well. Yeah. It's a, it's a really exciting time to be in this space. I'm admittedly pretty new to this space. So been podcasting for two years and then fully in business um, with um, working on the revenue generation and sponsorship side um, for professional women's sports through goals for about a year, almost exactly today. So new to this space, there's been a lot of people that have been grinding for a long time um, to advocate for and push push forward for female athletes and women in sports. So I'm, I'm excited to be part of the fold and um, helping to drive um, some good momentum as we continue to close the gender gap in sports. Absolutely. And Hey, it's, it's not about how long you've been in the game, right? I think the fact that um, we are getting a lot of people starting to talk about it is amazing, whether or not, you know, you're a Billie Jean King who's been doing it for what seems like her whole life. Or if you're just a year into it, a couple months into it, I think it's great because like we need it. There's so much momentum around women's sports right now. And it just seems like we're not able to capitalize on it. Like it's the same thing that happens every year or every four years with the Olympics, I should say. You get all this momentum, you get, you know, millions of people tuning into one game and then Worlds comes around and there's, you know, a couple hundred thousand people watching because well, I mean, we could get into all the other problematic things that happen with worlds, but, um, yeah. it's, it's always interesting, right? Like, yeah, there are a lot, there are some really big challenges that exist in the women's sports space. So you're right. It's going to take absolutely everybody, not just in the, on the women's sports side of the business, but the entire industry is mm-hmm. really responsible for making this space more equitable. Absolutely. It is. Um, and let's like, let's kind of pull back a little bit here. Okay. So like, let's get you introduced to our audience, like tell them a little bit about yourself, you know, your background in, in sports and, and academics and kind of what your mission is here with what you're doing. Yeah, I'm happy to share more. And, you know, I think I'm going to, I'm going to throw it all the way back to when I was pretty little. Cause that's, I think a really important part of my whole journey here. So 
Um, my first venture into sports, if you will, um, I was, so I should mention I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm from a big family. I'm one of eight kids. There are six girls and two boys in my family. So we're just like a huge sports family. We love playing sports. So we joke sometimes that our parents had eight kids because they wanted to have nine and field a whole baseball team. Um, <laughs> so we just like, we're always put outside to play sports four on four. Like it's just such a huge part of our family's culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing up, um, I think I was like six years old, maybe seven years old. Um, it came time to sign, uh, me and my brother up to play baseball. And, you know, I, we were both the same level or a year apart and, um, there was only a boys baseball league. So my parents just said, yeah, you're, you guys are going to both play on this team and didn't really think much of it. So we show up, I think I'm maybe I'm seven, 10 or six. That's my brother. So we show up to our first game and uh, we're super excited to play, but realize quickly that the other team is mocking us, totally mocking our team saying we're, they're going to win because there's a girl on that team. You know, I mean, just like you guys have, I'm sure experienced something similar at some point in your lives as female athletes, but I remember being so angry. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I am so good at baseball. I belong on this field as much as you. I am going to prove all of you wrong. So we take the field for the first inning and we're so little that this is like a step up from T-ball. It's mm-hmm. parent pitch. So I was playing the position of pitcher's helper where I get to stand next to the pitcher's mound and field any balls that go into the direction of the adult who's pitching to the kids. So I'm playing pitcher's helper and the first three kids on the other team hit ground balls right to me standing next to the pitcher's mound. And I got them all out one, two, three. And I remember walking off the field with just such, I don't know, swagger, confidence, a little fire in me. Cause I was like, yeah, I proved you wrong. I belong to be here. Not only or I deserve to be here, but not only do I deserve to be here, I'm really good and I should be here. Um, Mm. So that was just like a really big moment for me at a very young age that I was like, sports is it. And I'm going to kind of like use this platform to like show everybody that girls are as good as boys. Uh, Mm. So fast forward, we'll fast forward quite a bit, Um, but played sports growing up. Basketball ended up being my primary sport. Um, and as I was like coming, playing basketball and, um, eventually decided to go to Penn state, uh, where I played club basketball there. And then I studied women and gender studies. I kind of had in my mind always that I wanted to do something around women, sports, business. I didn't know exactly what that meant. There wasn't really a clear path at the time, especially in Pittsburgh. There is one professional women's sports team in Pittsburgh. So it's not like I, I'm like, oh, I can go work for the WNBA team that's down the road. So in my head, I was like, maybe one day I can be the head of the women's department at Nike. That's like as much as far as I could think as far as a career path. So I, I kind of loosely set out to form or start a career that could theoretically lead me to doing something like that. So my first job was in marketing. So I worked for Kohl's department stores in a marketing role and, um, really fell in love with marketing. It's where I learned how to be a marketer and learn how to build marketing plans um, that would uh, go across the entire um, country uh, for all Kohl's locations and really enjoyed that. Um, That job was in Wisconsin though. And I love Pittsburgh, love my big family, wanted to move back to Pittsburgh. So I moved back to Pittsburgh um, and worked in a job as the director of public programs for our Smithsonian Museum here in Pittsburgh. So the Heinz History Center and really, really enjoyed that job uh, for a lot of reasons. One, I got to continue to be a marketer, but now I'm working on events and the uh, Heinz History Center has the Western Pennsylvania Sports Museum within it. So I started to kind of get back into sports a little bit. And, you know, just being around that, I was like, I really miss being around sports. It was around that time I started coaching. I started coaching fifth and sixth grade girls basketball and then eventually uh, moved on to coach high school basketball um but I just really felt that itch I think you guys know once you're in sports you're just like you love it you feel the power of it you want to get 
back to it. You want to be around it. So, um, was able to then shift, uh, career job jobs once again. Um, and I found a job working for the Dick sporting goods, Pittsburgh marathon. And mm-hmm. the job was, I almost didn't take the job actually. So I was offered a job to be a sponsorship salesperson for the marathon. And I was like, okay, this is a cool organization, but I've never done sales before. Like I'm not a salesperson. I don't know how to be in sales. Like my picture in my head of what a salesperson was, was somebody like smoking cigars and a suit, like handshake deals on the golf course. I just like had this like vision in my head of what a salesperson was. And I didn't match that vision. So I almost didn't take the job, but luckily I had a really wonderful female CEO at the time, an incredible mentor uh, who then became my boss that really just showed me that sales is building marketing plans for the brands that want to get involved with whatever you're selling, whatever event that is. Um, so that's where um, I finally kind of got that career in the sports industry. I started working in sales, um, f- sponsorship sales for P3R and the Dick Sporting Goods Pittsburgh Marathon. And it kind of climbed the ladder there. I, I found a real knack for it, really loved it. And um, ultimately became the senior vice president of partnerships and sponsorships for that organization. Um, and then around the time that, uh, the pandemic hit, um, I still was able to work the whole time, but of course we weren't able to put on mass marathon events. So we're working from home and I'm like, once again, missing that connection to sports. Like we're not out there with our runners putting on events all the time. And, um, something was definitely missing. So, I really amped up my fandom of women's sports. We're at home. I'm like, okay, I can tune into the entire WNBA season. I can watch the entire, um, at the time, NWHL season. So I really started becoming more, probably for the first time in my life, like a true dedicated women's sports fan. Um, And I was really activated, particularly by the 2020 WNBA season, and everything the athletes in their COVID bubble did, um, both on the court as exceptional athletes playing through a pandemic, having their children with them in the bubble. Um, so their, the performance side of things was absolutely re- remarkable, but also the activism that happened in that bubble was really unmatched, I believe, in the history of sports. Uh, everything they did for racial and social justice, impacting u.s political election like they they really set a new standard for athlete activism and really inspired me and it made me really curious about what was going on in the women's sports industry uh, especially around the intersection of business and athlete activism and i i really wanted to learn more about that i was very again curious and i was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time, going for runs, going for walks. And I wanted to listen to a podcast about the business of women's sports and I couldn't find one. So that was kind of like my COVID hobby, if you will. Um, so I was like, I'm going to start a podcast here and I'm going to start a brand to market the podcast and start to have some conversations about this and invite leaders from the women's sports industry that are doing this work to come on and talk um, about the state of the industry and things that are happening and ultimately try to make the business case for women's sports and bring more investment into the space. So started mm-hmm. as kind of a hobby. And then after doing that for about a year, it occurred to me that I was kind of yelling into the internet about how brands and networks needed to invest in women's sports, but, and I had a sponsorship skill set. That's what I was doing for the marathon. And maybe there was a way for me to apply my professional skills with my personal passions and Mm -hmm. start a business. And um, then goals pivoted. And now we are a marketing agency that um, helps um, brands get into the women's sports space and helps underfunded women's sports organizations connect with brands to bring in more sponsorship revenue. So that's the long journey. Sorry, that was a bit long-winded, um, but it's been such a windy road. And I think that's important for people that want to work in the space to hear that there's not always this like straight path to careers in sports. Um, so that, that was my journey, at least. 
I love it. Um, before I like dive into how great that story was, I really like the visual that came up to to me when you were saying like you walked off the the pitch feeling really good after, you know, getting three guys out, and I just picture like. <laughs> Connor McGregor like with his like swag walk walking off the field over here like this little little girl um but no that's that's honestly so amazing and I'm I'm glad that you did share like all of the pivots that happened in that story because I mean that's also been my experience after graduating from school too right like you know I didn't know what I was going to do I was going to play professionally and then I had a contract ripped for me and then I ended up going to coach and then I ended up moving to a different country to play and like now I'm living in a completely different country doing something completely different from all of that right so um it's good to hear everybody's journey because it's kind of like refreshing in a way like you can relate and say like okay like it's not just me that maybe doesn't really it's okay not to know exactly what it is that you want to be doing at this point but like you'll find it along the way somewhere absolutely and I'm so grateful for all of the different experiences that I've had because when it came time to start goals and that that opportunity became apparent to me I was like okay everything I've done so far feels like it can contribute to making this successful mm-hmm so, so for, I mean, Taylor and I have definitely both lived it. Um, but I think it's, it's interesting to hear from you. Like, where is the business case for women's sports right now? Like, what does, what does the business side of, of women's professional sports look like from, from your perspective? Yeah. From my perspective, I really believe that women's sports are the most exciting trend in the sports industry right now. Mm-hmm. If you look at growth opportunities. It was, um, Carolyn Braff, who's the head of branded Gatorade came on my podcast recently. And she said something that I've thought about probably every single day since she said, there's not a ton of room for growth in men's sports. You know, we're not seeing lots of expansion teams. We're not seeing new leagues pop up. It's just, it kind of is what it is. And yeah, you can add on incrementally here and there, but with women's sports, we're seeing new leagues, new teams, new athletes, all these opportunities Mm -hmm. popping up. It's really exciting. So, you know, I just really think the opportunity around the growth here and where we're going to be and just seeing the, even in the past two years, the amount of growth that's happened around sponsorship dollars, viewership, um, merchandise sales, everywhere we look across the industry, numbers are up into the right. And they're up and to the right without a ton of resources going into growing them. Like this is organic growth that is happening. So imagine what could happen if we invested properly in this space. If we had, um, you know, the same amount of capital going into women's sports that has been just thrown into men's sports in the past, I think is we can get a little bit of investment into this space, the, the growth is just going to continue to go off the charts. Mm-hmm. And, and to steal your line, that's where I feel like I start yelling into the internet. <laughs> you, like you say, you say that all, like everyone's saying that we all know it. And then it's just, I don't know what it is. Like if it's just an old attitude, an old way of doing things, but you know, we still seem to be stuck in that yeah, maybe if we did it, but we won't. (laughs) Well, it seems like in men's sports, from my perspective, they've been invested in based off of their potential. And in women's sports, they only get invested in. And that's like, if they're actually invested in when they absolutely prove success and prove excellence. So we'll use the United States women's national soccer team as an example. Wonderful. They have just like pushed pretty much every single boundary in sport. We finally have achieved a collective bargaining agreement to give them paid equally, but they had to be the best of the best drive sales, sponsorship, win time and time and time again to finally achieve that equality. So that's just an example. Like women have to be so much better than men historically have had to um, perform in every aspect in order to get that investment. 
Mm-hmm. And I think I was listening to uh, the episode that you had Anya Packer on, and I think she was explaining that in women's hockey, they're seeing on social media, like significant more engagement from fans coming through because that's something that they have to be doing. Like they need to get engaged with the fans and they need to get some of that FaceTime in to basically give somebody a reason to come and watch them almost, right? Like they need to be having those constant interactions. Whereas like, I feel like if you were to reach out to somebody who's in like the NHL or NBA, just like on your DMs on Instagram, like there's the odds of them sending you a message back is probably pretty slim versus if you were to reach out to somebody who's in the PHF or the PWHPA or whatever women's league, whatever sport it is that we're talking about, right? Yeah, it's really interesting. Female athletes are so accessible um, and they're such good marketers. There's all this data that comes out that female athletes are better personal marketers than their male counterparts because they've had to be, they have to get creative and get scrappy and have this uh, point of view and presence on social media in order to make up some of that pay gap. So um, yeah, they're really investing in female athletes as an endorsement deal is such a great, such a great deal for brands because they're such good marketers. They're going to do such a good job with it. Yeah. And, and to preface, right, it's, it's not because it's not like we're responding because we're less busy. <laughs> That's not it. Right. And I think it's, it's funny. Cause like, I, I looked up the, the website right before we hopped on. And the first thing that you see is like less than 1% of sponsorship dollars go to women's sports. And, and that goes directly in contradiction to what you're talking about right now. It's just like, we're great at marketing ourselves we're great at helping, you know, push other kind of things around. Like if we get that opportunity, we're going to go to bat for you. We're going to showcase it, whether that's on Instagram, Twitter, or in person. Right. So where, where do you think that comes from? And does that just stem from the same stuff that we're talking about where these companies are waiting for us to be absolutely and completely successful before they make that investment? You know, I think it, I'll give you the example of um, myself as a women's sports fan. So I'm somebody who's a lifelong female athlete. I, I've never really considered myself a sports fan. I never like sat down to watch really the Steelers, the Pirates or the Penguins play here in Pittsburgh because it never resonated with me. So I'm like, oh, I just like, I'm not a huge sports fan. But then as soon as women's sports became accessible to me and I had the time to sit down and watch an entire WNBA season, which is two years ago, I was like, oh my gosh, I am a sports fan. I just am not like a huge men's sports fan. I'm a women's sports fan because I can connect with these, these players. But it wasn't until women's sports were very easily accessible to me that I was able to become a fan of them. It's hard to become a fan of something that you're not exposed to. So I think the same approach or way of thinking can be applied to brands. So if brands, if a leader at a brand has never stumbled across uh, the NWSL, the WNBA on TV, that decision maker is probably going to invest in the things that they are exposed to. They see men's sports. So I think in order to grow brand investment in women's sports, we need to make women's sports more accessible. So close to that 1% number, women get 1% of sponsorship dollars in sports. Women's sports gets 4% of media coverage. So those numbers have to grow together. I'm not, we could have a debate over chicken or the egg, like which one will make the other go up. I think they're going to happen at the same time, but you know what I would say that to bring brand investment up, we actually do need to put women's sports on TV, make them more accessible. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. Because I mean, we talk about this all the time, right? Like when we were younger, we didn't have the opportunity to watch those role models that we had on TV all the time. It was just men's hockey. That's all we really got to see, except for every four years at the Olympics or the world juniors. That's when we got to see our role models play in front of us. Right. And, you know, 
it's I think the same can be applied here, right? The, the more you're going to have them on TV, the more people are going to see them, the more people are going to be wanting to watch them, the more reason there is to invest. Like it's just like a, a cycle, right? Like it's crazy Absolutely that we still tailored. have to argue for this, but like, yeah. <laughs> I know somebody, I came across a tweet just this week where somebody said something like, you can't just throw money into women's sports and expect it to grow. It doesn't work like that. And normally I don't engage with people on Twitter. <laughs> I normally I I saw this post. <laughs> and I was like, actually it does work like that because it's just a business. Any business functions the same way. If you put inputs into it, resources go into it. It's going to increase the impact of the outputs. And I was like, I can't, this is, <laughs> I can't just let this sit here. Cause it is just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and I think the other thing with, with women's sports too, and, and, We've seen this happen in, in multiple different sports, whether it's hockey or it just happened with soccer. Um, a couple of the girls that I know on the Canadian Olympic team both tweeted out, like, there's nothing like having to borrow somebody else's login and password to a website you've never heard of before to watch a defending gold champion versus the runner-up play a national level soccer game. Oh, it's God. like, what? Or I, like, Totally. Yeah, or like a U18 um, Worlds for women's hockey, which is like the world juniors basically for women's hockey. Um, someone tweeted out a picture of it and it it was literally like, there's nothing like watching women's sports through a doorbell camera. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, all be, the online streaming is that bad. Yeah. It's like, a, it can be like a scavenger hunt anytime you want to watch women's sports. I want to say I tallied it up recently of all the different subscriptions that I have to yeah. all these different platforms so I can like keep tabs on all women's sports I pay a lot of money per month to watch women's sports which I also think speaks to the I don't know makeup of our fans like we're willing to spend money to watch we're willing to be I don't know really active fans like you can't be a passive fan and mm. do all those things and seek them out and find all these ways so I mean the power of women's sports fans that is that's a whole other conversation we are built differently that is an understatement for sure um but okay so one thing I really did want to get into today was like talking about how it is that we start to build uh, brands and sponsorship deals for women's leagues that maybe don't have them yet that are in desperate need of that kind of support, right? Like they're professional leagues, especially over here in Europe specifically, where they don't get those same type of uh, endorsement deals and that kind of stuff. And they're still in like the very, I would want to say like the very beginning stages of starting to develop their women's leagues. Like what, where would you start when they don't have a streaming platform yet, but it's just going by pretty much word of mouth, which is also terrible here as well. Yeah, that's a big question. You know, I would, how would I approach this? I would lean into the, I would try to figure out like, what are the things that we can offer and lean into those things. So if um, you know, at an organization knows that, yeah, we might not have our game streamed on a platform, but we can control what we put out there on social media and through our digital channels, I would lean into and build up those channels and then work with brands to activate through the channels that we have available. Um, you know, like for women sports fans in particular, they're, we just touched on this, but they're like a really digitally savvy bunch. So we're used to going on these scavenger hunts to watch games. Uh, we love connecting with our favorite athletes on social media. So, you know, if I, I started goals by starting an Instagram account and a Twitter account, um, so a lot of these platforms are really low cost to entry just to, to start somewhere and create a brand and start building. So you know, I would identify like what we do have available and build deals with brands. You know, I think the larger point here though, is I think a lot of times 
we try to sell women's sports the same way that men's sports have been sold. So we mm. say we have this many impressions. We have this many eyeballs viewing our our games every week. And that is, that's problematic because we're never going to match. I mean, apples to apples, it's going to take centuries for us to, to match where the men's sports industry is. They have centuries of head start on us. So when I speak to brands, I talk about it from like a, like a growth perspective, like you're investing now in what will continue to grow and you're going to come in at a much lower rate than you would if you were investing in a men's sports organization. Um, and you're going to be seen as a champion of women at the beginning of this movement, this larger global movement for gender equality. So you're kind of, it's hard to quantify what some of those things are worth. Um, but there's a ton of value in supporting women and supporting girls in sports that come from, you know, just showing up early and um, investing in them before they have the same eyeballs and same kind of impression. So you kind of need to sell it a little bit differently. And um, brands, well, some brands won't be interested in that, but some will. Brands that are interested um, in social impact will be, will sign on and will come on board. And then um, as more brands become more socially conscious, I think we're going to continue to see growth. And what, what is your thought on that, right? Like, because a lot of leagues, I think up until this point have, have talked about like the difference in marketing and, and do we market exclusively to females? Do we make that a thing or are we trying? And then there's the, the other argument of, well, you're going for the same fan base and it goes both ways, right? It's like, well, we don't want to market exclusively to females, but also the men's leagues aren't marketing to them. So how do you find the balance of both? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Well, I believe, I think Nielsen found out that actually the majority of sports fan or women's sports fans are men. I think it's Mm-hmm. Like 51% of women's sports fans um, identify as male, uh, which is really interesting. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think what I think is really promising about the growth opportunity of women's sports is Gen Z, like a whole population uh, or a whole generation that is demanding more of the brands that they support. Um, and women's sports in our just and or female athletes in their inherent nature are activists. I think it was Sue Bird and Neka Gwumake from the WNBA wrote an op-ed in 2020. And they said this quote, by existing in places that weren't built for us, women athletes are doing something revolutionary. So just the mere existence of a female athlete in sports, that's a form of activism. They're showing up in this world that men get 96% of media coverage, 99% of sponsorship dollars. Um, the pay gaps are enormous. So just existing there is a form of activism and Gen Z new uh, this new generation of people and sports fans, um, are demanding more from, again, the brands that they support and women's sports are positioned really well to attract that kind of new fan. So I think we're going to get a combination of like fans of men's sports that as women's sports become more accessible, they're going to broaden their fandom to support men's and women's sports. But I also think there's going to be this um, influx of new fans, um, younger fans that are really interested in, you know, the dynamic offering of women's sports. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that you said there is like, you're going to get the, the people that are already in into men's sports they're going to broaden their their fandom they're not leaving one for the other which is another argument that people are very oh you're not going to get people to choose between the it's like i'm not asking them to choose it's a yes and you can you can be a fan of both men's and women's sports like i don't what 100 100 it's like saying uh, back in the day, like a men's sports fan, oh, we can't start the NBA because 
it'll pull viewership from the NFL. No, people make room for more. They like you can be fans of multiple things. We all are. It's yeah. not a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. So I wanted to talk about the mental health piece because here on the podcast we love to talk about mindset, mental health. And I know the last time you and I connected, we did talk about how women opening up about their mental health has been something that especially in the athletic space has been happening a lot more and we're opening up that conversation. Um, but there's something that you told me that I found to be very, very intriguing. And that was that um, it's good for business for women to be authentic and vulnerable around the topic of mental health. Did you want to like maybe dive into that a little bit more? Yeah, I'm happy to. This is a trend I'm following very closely as somebody who um works in brand sponsorship sales. Cause I've noticed over the past year or two, as female athletes are speaking out more and, you know, having these really tough and candid um, moments where they talk about their struggles with mental health, we're seeing a lot of brands step up to invest in these athletes. So the first one that I really took notice of was Naomi Osaka Um, when she um, she skipped out on the press conference at the French Open and was fined. And then pretty much immediately after that, Calm meditation app stepped up to pay her fine and then donate on top of that. um, I forget the name of the organization um, that was doing work in this space around um, providing better mental health resources for female athletes. So I I was like, wow, that's really interesting. She's just leaning into her authentic self and being really honest about um, what's going on with her right now as an athlete and brands are responding to that. And that was just one of the brands that kind of stepped up in that, that moment. And then from there, we're starting to see this larger interest in this across the industry. Um, We see it. I work um, with the PHF um, with multiple teams in that league pretty closely on their sponsorship, um, and business development. And I'm in conversations every day with brands that are really interested in, um, mental health night for the Riveters, for example, and, you know, Madison Packer on the Riveters is a huge advocate for, um, mental health and mental health resources. And brands are really, really interested in connecting with women's sports and female athletes in those really authentic moments. So, you know, I think this is just another example of as female athletes continue to show up as their authentic selves, as activists in the space, brands are excited to connect with them in those moments um, and then connect with fans um, that those, that authenticity resonates with. so powerful like it's I have like chills just thinking about how like a brand can reach out after somebody has been fine because they didn't show up to a press conference and like I don't think we see a lot of that like 2.0 leadership with very many uh businesses especially in the sporting space and I think the recent events of this year can kind of attest to that as well um So it's great to see that there's people who actually care in these brands. It's just a matter of how do we get them to like care more? And I think, you know, women being advocates the way that we are, I think that's like the number one way that's going to happen. Yeah. And it's, it's like beyond just the level of caring too, right? Like it's, yeah, absolutely. I love that you're saying that you're caring, but like, all right, we need to get some money behind it now. It's like that, that second level of caring, you can show it, but then you got to kind of like, you you have to step up into that space where you're backing it now. It's not just, Hey, I'm here for you. It's like, Hey, I'm here for you. Here's the resources. This is what you need. Definitely. Definitely. And yeah, I mean, I think this is I think the influence of female athletes like Naomi Osaka is going to be felt for generations to come. This is a huge moment when we look at when we look at the microphone that athletes have to impact 
greater social change. The mental health movement, I don't, that's probably not the right terminology for it, but this movement to normalize conversation around mental health, getting treatment um, for, you know, mental health struggles, female athletes, I believe will be attributed to like really helping propel this forward because they are just leading here and speaking up in a way that we've never seen male athletes speak up before. I shouldn't say never. I'm sure there are some examples that I just um, am not aware of, but we're really seeing it. Kristen Press um, in the NWSL. Um, there's just so a, a Simone Bile. Like there's so many examples. We can just keep keep listing them. And these are major athletes. These are these are athletes that have a lot of following and they're helping to um, really kind of revolutionize the way people think about mental health. I would love to see the graph of what, when Simone Biles withdrew from the Olympics and the amount of times that people looked up like something to do with mental health or the, the issue that she specifically was dealing with in terms of like not being able to like wrap her head around seeing the ground and kind of like all that. I think that would be absolutely fascinating because I'm sure that everybody sees these things happen, especially with the best of the best athletes. Like you see her do four flips in the air and you're like, wow, that looks so easy. And you don't even think about all of the other stuff that goes into it. And then the last thing that I think a lot of people would even consider as being a factor is the mental side of it, because that's just always supposed to be there, right? Like it's not something that um, for someone like Simone Biles comes under fire because she's just supposed to be the best. It's like, no, just like you struggle with anxiety from day to day. So does she, except when you're doing these things that are so above and beyond the regular daily activities that you need to do, it has extreme consequences on the athlete's ability to actually do that thing that you just said looked so easy. <laughs> well, and I think part of it comes back to the fact that like we put athletes, especially like the best of the best on this pedestal. And we see them as being very strong and powerful people. And we don't tend to think about any sort of weaknesses or vulnerabilities that they might have like what's going on in their day-to-day -day life that might be causing them some like mental trouble you know yeah <laughs> right they're human beings they're humans they don't exist solely for our entertainment purposes like they are real people that are putting themselves in really vulnerable high-risk situations uh, so they can have these jobs this is how they pay their bills so I I agree I think a lot of times in sport that piece of things gets really lost which is unfortunate which is why we are here trying to bring some some more light to that and uh, have more conversations around it as well yeah. and if, I if mean we it can, is so it's so important what you guys are doing truly is if we can like bookend that too there's like a there's a beautiful symmetry to what you said Taylor these people are, they're doing things that are intense and they're hard and they're complicated and they're amazing to see, but also the thing that their brain does on a daily basis is intense. It's hard. It's complicated. And when it's not functioning, those two things don't come together. So like just as much as the athlete has built up resiliency, that's how strong the mental side of the game is is no matter how much resiliency you've built up, it doesn't matter if your brain's not with you. And being able to have that conversation, I think just makes it hit home for people. Like, look at this person who's competed in front of millions of uh, millions and millions of people. They've got, you know, more than that 10,000 hours of practice. They are experts in what they do. And because this piece isn't with them, they can't do it. I think that's amazing in, in and of itself. And I wish that more people got to that deeper level of understanding. It's not because the athlete's not resilient. It's because the mental side of it is so strong. And I think, I mean, you and I spend our entire day talking to athletes about that in yeah. terms of why they need to do this kind of work. 
what's I guess I have a question for the two of you what is the reception from the athletes that you talk to is it something that everyone says yes we feel this we want to talk about it more or is it is there stigma around mental health and talking about these sort of things I think that there's still a little bit of stigma. I think it's especially more noticeable around um, men than it is women. I think women are are more like empathetic and nurturing by nature. Um, but that being said, like from a very young age, when you're in sports, like where it's drilled into you that like how you feel doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> like pretty much like if if you have issues, like I know for me as an athlete, like. I would go to the rink and if something was wrong, like our coach was like, park it at the door. Like you're at the rink now that doesn't come in here with you, which, okay. In theory, great idea. But like a lot of theories don't actually, you know, tend to pan out when we, when we see how it plays out in real life. Right. And like, we are human beings before we are athletes, which is why this is so important. Right. Like you can't just leave everything at the door when you walk in for practice that's not how that works. Right. Um, but in terms of stigma, I think I see it like more on the men's side still than them with women. Um, but from everybody that I've worked with, like they realize how important this is. And the reason we work with them is because they're the ones coming to the table and saying like, I need to do this work. I need the support and help. Mm -hmm. Taylor, didn't you get the memo that the rink is your happy place? It's where you're supposed to be happy all the time. (laughs) <laughs> you know what for a long time I actually believed that and for a long time it was and then it just wasn't one day and I was like huh this is weird this is a foreign feeling but I yeah. need to just leave it at the door yeah but I didn't yeah, know that's, how that's tough I do remember that moment for me as a basketball player when yeah. that happened it was no longer my happy place it was all stress and that's it's really hard mm-hmm when I think for so many of us, right, when we're young and we're playing, of course, it's your happy place because you're playing because you love the game. But that like the the story, my story, when I share it to people, I talk about how I went from playing hockey because I loved it to I started playing hockey because I was getting that like next quick hit of someone telling me that I was good at it. And like that next quick hit of somebody being impressed by what I was doing and and whatnot. But it's um, to go back to your question. I think the other side of it is a lot of athletes recognize that it's important and they're able to get over the, the stigma part of it, especially on the female side. The men's side is a little different, um, but there's still a huge disparity in terms of what they're exposed to on a daily basis. And we just talked about this with uh, somebody else today when you go onto any college campus in the athletics department, there is a huge room in almost every sport building set aside for athletic training and for physiotherapy. And then you've got your gyms, right? That are set up to, to hone your physical body and take care of your physical body. And then my experience at the college that I went to was that our mental health resources we're all the way across campus and there were three people for 800 student athletes. So it's like, mm, maybe we are also communicating to athletes that it's still not worth the investment because all of the organizations and institutions that we idolize aren't valuing it yet. So, you know. That's interesting. Yeah. In a perfect world, there would be a mental health room as large as the athletic training room or I you know Mm. that's obviously hyperbolic but sure a space carved out to show that this is equally as important yeah Mm -hmm. that would be so nice (laughs) because like it was the same for me too right like we had the gym you knew where it was the athletic training the physiotherapist everything was where you needed to be I didn't know that we even had like a school counselor until I think it was like my third or fourth year of university and they were like luckily located in the center of campus but they were on like that building wasn't really used a lot for classes or anything so they're on the top floor and it was like two tiny offices (laughs) she did great work when I worked with her don't get me wrong but I wish I had known that she was there way beforehand 
She was sure. up there in her tower, just come <laughs> find me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I, hopefully, as women's sports continues to grow, that means every aspect, including resources to support female athletes um, on their mental health journeys. Yes, absolutely. And we're hoping to kind of impact a little bit of change in that area with what it is we're doing and talking about with folks here. Um, but we we realize that it is kind of time to round out the end of our our conversation here. So um, where do you see goals going in the future? Like what is what is your vision with goals? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I don't have a 100% clearly defined vision for goals, kind of like with my career path. It wasn't fully apparent what I wanted to do. Um, I know on a macro scale, we will always do work that uh, contributes to creating a more equitable sports world and advancing opportunities for women athletes. That certainly can change as we continue to do business. Um, one thing that's interesting, the majority of the work that we do right now is on behalf of properties. So teams, nonprofits, organizations actively working to connect with brands on their behalf to bring in more sponsorship revenue. But we're starting to hear from more brands directly that maybe came across the podcast or our Twitter and are saying, wow, women's sports looks like an interesting space for us to invest in. How can we do that? Um, so I could see as brand interest continues to grow, us doing more work on the brand side of things. Um, but for now, we're, you know, chugging along just right now, working um, to close that gender sponsorship gap. I like it. A measure of success for us is moving that needle on that 1%. Can we get closer to 50%? Can we even exceed 50%? But just like getting that out of the one digits would be, that's the big goal. That's what we're working on here. So um, we'll see what happens in the future, but we're, we're keeping our eyes on that prize. Love to hear it. That's absolutely amazing. We'll definitely keep uh, tabs on your journey, of course. Hopefully have you back um, maybe sometime in the future. And uh for folks that are listening and they want to reach out and contact you, where is the best place for them to do that? Yeah, we're very active on social media. So you can follow us at goals underscore sports underscore on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, our website is goals-sports.com. So that's it. You can find the podcast, the business case for women's sports everywhere. You can find this wonderful podcast inside the athletic mind. So uh, make sure you bookmark us as well. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for having me. It's really wonderful to be here. And I'm really grateful for everything you guys are doing uh, for female athletes in this space. 